Hello and welcome to Cinemaholics, where we review the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. One of us is a film critic, one is a casual moviegoer, and the third person is me, your host, John Negroni from the Internet, California. On the show today, we have from the Internet, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he's also a freelance film critic for the playlist, cut print film, Hey You Guys, The Young Folks, Someday the World, it's Will Ashton. <laughs> Hi there. Sadly, it's just us this week. Our casual moviegoer and sound producer, Maverick Hines, uh, couldn't make it. Uh, this is yeah. a, a difficult episode to record because I am, uh, as you can probably hear, I'm not using my normal equipment. I'm out of town. And uh, it was it was tough to, to get this uh, set up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm bummed Maverick couldn't be involved because I know he... I believe he had this in his top three for the fall preview we did a couple weeks ago. So it was at least in his uh, honorable mentions. Yeah. Yeah. I know he was pretty psyched to see it. I don't know if you did he end up seeing it. He, um, I think he did, but I haven't talked to him. We can him. talk about. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if he saw it. I don't know if, if he saw it. I don't know if he liked it. Uh, so, but that is the movie we're going to be talking about this week. Halloween. Um, we're celebrating the holiday a bit early uh, this year on Cinemaholics by reviewing the latest film. Also in this episode, we're going to be talking about The Hate You Give. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Beautiful Boy, The Old Man and the Gun, Apostle, uh, quite a few things that uh, you might be interested in. So stick around for our reviews after our featured uh, review of Halloween. Uh, but first, let's get into our off-topics. Will Ashton, uh, we had another patron poll this week to help us decide what to review. Uh, what, what were the options? Uh, wasn't it Halloween, The Hate You Give? It was just those two. Yeah, yeah, we weren't like, okay, say. Halloween, The Hate You Give, and Suspiria. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Suspiria, but I don't know when you guys get a chance to see it. Yeah, so, and I'm not, I don't uh, want to know. I just want to see it for the first time, not knowing your opinion on it. Okay. That's a, uh, yeah, nothing against I'll, you, Will. I I'll, just want to go in fresh. I take that as a slight, but feels like <laughs> Please <one>. don't. <laughs> um, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, every week we do a special poll just for our patrons on Patreon. Uh, you guys help us decide what we review, especially if we have two big options. And this week it was Halloween and the Hate You Give. If you want to help us with that, because we have another difficult decision to make for next week, toward the end of this episode, we're going to talk about the films we're watching and considering reviewing for yeah. next week. And we're going to put out a poll. And for all of you who are already patrons, we're looking forward to hearing what you have to... We have a lot of uh, ideas for what we could do because the kind of big wide release films aren't really grabbing us. Uh, is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's important that we have the polls because we just want to hear f feedback from the listeners and whatnot. But... This week, it's especially important because we just don't know what to do. Like, we've been <laughs> right. throwing options. We've been going back and forth trying to figure something out, and we just don't know. So we really need the input, I think, to figure out what is best for next week, what people want to hear the most. And I'm very curious and excited to see what gets picked. Um, on that note, uh, we want to... We want to uh, thank our newest patron, uh, Robert, who is a friend of the show. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for becoming a patron of Cinemaholics. Uh, we He's been on the show before, and we're hoping to have him back on as soon as yeah. possible. Uh, I that's hope, Robert Yannis Jr. I hope one day we get to talk, because every time he's been on the show, I've been absent or unable to be on the show. Maybe and that's we almost design, got together. <laughs> uh, there was, I think, uh, was it the Mission Impossible episode he was supposed it to be on? It was. Yeah, he was going to come on and talk about Mission Impossible Fallout with us, but then he heard that you were going to be on the show, <laughs> and then... He's like, we have a tradition. I can't break it. <laughs> yeah, because he was on for uh, Alien Covenant and, I think, Atomic Blonde. That's correct. So, yeah, uh, yeah so some, of our, some of our best reviews. But, okay. Yeah. He wasn't... Uh, was he on Transformers, too, or is that somebody else? 
Oh, I don't think so. I think that was uh, CJ Mellon. Oh, yeah. I, I might right. have that wrong. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that was, oh boy, that was Maverick and I really had some fun talking about that movie. That's a good, that one's got to go on the YouTube. <laughs> it's one of our archived episodes. Yeah. So also last week we talked about First Man and we were supposed to talk about Bad Times at the El Royale. We were really excited too, because it was one of the movies that I thought warranted one of our more interesting discussions on the air. Unfortunately, we didn't have time for it on the main episode, but if you're listening now, and you want to hear what we thought of Bad Times at the El Royale, we put out a last call a few days ago. Uh, so it should be on your podcast feed right now. It is a uh, last call episode. We spent probably about 50 minutes talking about Bad Times, and we did a spoiler section. So we, we don't do those quite as often. So we kind of gave Bad Times a little special treatment there. And I thought that turned out really well, because it was you and me and Maverick, uh, kind of like old times, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of felt like, like we have a formality to the show. I mean, yeah. we just have a schedule and whatnot to keep. But that episode felt like three guys at the bar just kind of chatting about the movie they just saw. And I think it was a really fun feel. I hope people enjoyed that. And I would love to do something like that again, depending on the film. But I think that turned out pretty well. I agree. We do have another last call coming up. Um, we haven't scheduled it yet, but we are doing a last call. It was requested by one of our patrons, The Hateful Eight. Um Enough, the, yeah. the 2015 slash 2016, depending on when you count the release, uh, Tarantino film uh, that one of our patrons, DeWitt, asked us to review. Uh, I'm planning on rewatching it as I make my trip back to California. Will, have you had a chance to ch- catch it yet? Are you going to see it this week? I'm hoping to see it this week. It's been a busy couple of days for me, so I'm hoping to find some time because that's not a short film to oh, yeah. revisit. Two and a half but hours I, or something like that. But I will make a point, yes, to uh, revisit that Tarantino film. And I hope I enjoyed it as much as I did the last two times. But it's hard yeah. to know. You never know. I'll be watching it just for the second time. And I think it's a perfect airplane movie because my flight is about four, four and a half hours. So uh, that's oh, wow. going to be... Yeah. yeah. Uh, last thing, Will, I haven't talked to, uh, to you about this yet, but uh, very recently I had a birthday... And so a special thing that I got to do, thank you. I got to go to a Pixar shorts film festival event thing. Um, So it was a film festival sort of for the Pixar shorts. And it was really fun because Domi Shi, the director of Bao, uh, which played right before The Incredibles 2, and she's also directing a totally new Pixar film that's coming out probably about 2022, 2021, something like that. Uh, we actually got to have a meet and greet, got to meet her, uh, see her in person, and hear her talk about Bao. And it was wonderful. And I just wanted to tell you that it was a good time. And I, you know, we recently had our Is Pixar in Decline episode. And one of the points that I make, because we recorded that uh, before this event, and one of the things I had said and really was confirmed, and I, I may maybe get your opinion on this, I, I think people like Domi Shi, who, you know, very young, you know, new talent at Pixar, basically, uh, not relatively new. She's been with Pixar since like 2011 or something. But this, this to me is the future of the animation studio. You all know, I love Pixar, obviously. And, uh, I just want to say, Will Ashton, you know, we're probably going to be talking about Toy Story 4 next year. If that ends up being a sour conversation, I hope it isn't. Uh, I just want to let you know, Domi Shi is a gem. And if you ever have a chance to, uh, interview her or pick her brain, I think, uh, you would definitely love it. Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, I did enjoy a film quite a bit, the short film we were talking about. So I'm very curious and excited to see what she's going to do with her f- first feature film. And yeah. 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 
Yeah, it was wonderful seeing it again on the big screen. And we watched uh, eight other Pixar shorts. It was interesting the ones that they chose too. We got to see Jerry's game on the big screen, which oh, was definitely favorites. cool. I know, right? And it was so cool to see that. Like we saw it at the Castro Theater in San Francisco, and it was this huge, beautiful, beautiful theater that uh, I love. That's where I saw uh, Sorry to Bother You and Searching and some some of the uh, most interesting films of the year, honestly. And uh, we saw we also saw um, For the Birds, which I don't know if I had ever seen that on the big screen. Now that I think about it, so. Uh, it was a good selection. Uh, they did not play Lava, unfortunately, so that was my only break. <laughs> yeah, I know not everybody uh, loves that one. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I We've talked about Lava. We can, <laughs> we can move on. The contention, yes, is real. But no, anyway. I actually, um, I, no, I, I actually kind of like it, but like maybe not in the way I think I'm supposed to like it. Oh, man. So. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of, I, I guess that's probably as best a, a way as any to get into our featured review uh of halloween uh interestingly enough this is the third time a movie has been called just halloween uh this is a new wide release from universal it was also produced by blumhouse and it was directed by david gordon green a very interesting choice of directors uh he's probably best known for pineapple express your highness the sitter the three of those being kind of like mm. stoner comedy slash action. Uh, he's also done a lot of indie films like Prince Avalanche and Joe. Uh, his One of his more recent films was Our Brand is Crisis, which was kind of a, like a out-of-country political campaign kind of thing. And, and then, um, yeah, Stronger. I was going to mention Stronger, which is a film I really, really enjoyed. Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. and Tatiana did Maslany. You, yeah. um, did you – I just learned this this week. Did you know Jake Gyllenhaal um, – Jamie Lee Curtis. That's uh, that's his godmother. No, I had no idea. That's an, that's, that's actually, actually uh, why huh. she did the movie apparently because huh. Jake Gyllenhaal was like, "This is the best experience I've ever had working on a movie. You got to work with David Gordon Green because she, yeah. I guess, was hesitant to revisit Halloween, and that's why she did it." I was wondering how they were able to get her back. I am. I was very like, you know, especially after seeing the movie, I was like, "Wow, this is the." This is the chance that she took. But um, the screenplay, we should say, was also written by David Gordon Green, along with Danny McBride, another very interesting choice. Uh, you know, we remember him, of course, the thug life character from Pineapple Express. And he's been in a lot of wonderful things since and on some not so great films. Uh, and Jeff Fradley, who I'm not quite as familiar with, but uh, the new film is based on the same uh, characters created by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill from the original Halloween, which came out in, I think, about 1978, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it is no small thing to say that Halloween, the 1978 film, uh, probably it, it could be one of the most influential horror movies of all time. It's one of the most influential mm -hmm. films of all time. Uh, I, I put it up there with The Exorcist as, you know, just one of the horror films that everybody should see before they die. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just like, like, like same with Night of the Living Dead, like horror mm -hmm. was changed forever because of the film. I, I love that original film. It's it's probably my favorite horror film, if not my favorite, my top three. Uh, I love the shoestring budget. You know, I love the fact that they took a shoestring budget and were able to turn it into this really tense, uh, unpredictable thriller. It obviously invented the final girl, which has been a bit of a trope. So that's why it's very interesting to see the sequel bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis. Now, there have been many sequels and uh, a few remakes since the original Halloween came out. Uh, there was a direct sequel, Halloween 2, which uh, I think is uh, 
probably liked more than it's disliked. I, I, I've never actually read the tea leaves on that, but that is the film that introduces this idea that Laurie Strode, who was played by Jamie Lee Curtis, was secretly related to Michael Myers, the uh, the famous yeah, which... slasher with the uh, yeah with the uh, Captain Kirk mask that was distorted. Yeah, yeah um, I was gonna say, I guess. So John Carpenter helped write the script for Halloween Two, and apparently he came up with that idea when he was drunk. <laughs> they just went with it because sounds uh, about right. Yeah, John Carpenter, I love the man. He is uh, as straightforward as they come. Like he'll be completely blunt and honest, whether he likes something or not. <laughs> and uh, he is not quite a fan of the uh, other Halloween films, and that's what is I think even more surprising than Jamie Lee Curtis coming back. I think is uh, John Carpenter having an influence on this film and actual like involvement in the film which is what really surprised me yeah i've seen every halloween movie except for the second halloween 2 the the second time rob zombie got a chance at this okay yeah, i was gonna say yeah i remember you know season of the witch i think that was the third one um where they, they tried to do something completely different they didn't bring back uh, Michael Myers, they were just sort of telling a new story. And I, I actually, I have some, you know, I have a little bit of like for that film. I think that what it was trying to do is it's, it's fun. It's out there. It's weird. It's kind of trying to yeah, go for it's... Cronenberg though, which it, and it doesn't quite land it. Um, but it is a, it is a fun watch. I mean, it's a great Halloween, uh, treat of a movie to see. Yeah. Couple it's, years. Uh, away from the uh, original film. That's my favorite Halloween. Oh, wow. No, interesting. Yeah. I, I had yeah, no I idea so. you liked it so much and I can, I can absolutely see why. Yeah. I mean, I don't like love it, but I mean, I think that's more of a testament of how the other movies are, but uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I would say outside of the first one, that's probably my second favorite. Oh, okay. See, I, I got the hint that you were seeing you liked it more than the first one. I was like, wow. You no, 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 no. My bad, bad. It's the best you can, I don't think you can never really top it, but the second one is yeah. probably, or the third movie is my second favorite. I do like the third movie. Uh, I think Curse of Michael Myers is terrible. H2O and all of those things where they tried to keep bringing him back. It just never worked for me. I actually do like the Rob Zombie one, the first one that they did. Uh, One of the things I liked about it and that I liked that they brought to this new Halloween was more of an attention on the gore to the the slasher, but in a way that felt a little bit, you know, earned. It felt uh, like there was texture to it. There was a reason for it. Uh, I didn't love how they're diving so much in the mind of Michael Myers that really limits the film's like mystery and, and tension which I do appreciate in this new one. This new one eschews all of those other films. Uh, they didn't even happen. It is the second Halloween, even though it's just called Halloween. It's not a remake of Halloween 2. It's just what happens about 40 years later. So Will Ashton, uh, we should say, of course, Judy Greer is in this, along with Virginia Gardner, Will Patton, Toby Huss, Miles Robbins, Jefferson Hall, Halleck Bildner, Andy Maticek, and Nick Castle, uh, who is reprising his role. He was one of the uh, doubles who played Michael Myers. I think he was played by several people, uh, including, uh, I think, was it Deborah Hill who also dressed up? Uh, really? Uh, the, screen, the co-writer? I think so. I know. I know one of them. One of the writers did was in the costume at one point, but I, I definitely fact checked me for sure because huh. I might be wrong about that. I, I would be surprised. I never heard that. So yeah, there's uh. it's, there were there were a bunch of people because that's how limited their budget was. Is that everybody was like all hands on deck, right? But anyway, yeah. Will Ashton. Uh, so I, I think I got a good read of what you think of the Halloween franchise in general. What, what do you think of this new one? Is it, uh, where, where does it rank for you? Yeah, actually I was going to say, I mean, um, I'd seen about like maybe half the movies before. And then I decided to catch up on the other half that I hadn't seen, um, before, before and after I saw this new film. 
And yeah, I mean, as a franchise, Halloween is very interesting because uh, it started off, like you said, so simple and so straightforward and it became iconic. I think just because it was so lean and mean and able to be as brilliant as it was because John Carpenter is such a brilliant filmmaker. And uh, it's it's interesting because the other movies, I think there's something to appreciate in most of them. But a lot of them have never quite captured what makes that first movie so great and what makes it so compelling as just a straightforward slasher horror film. And I think that's kind of a tradition that's continued with this film. Although I will say this one is better than most of the sequels in the sense that it is much more competent. And I think having Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter involved, if only a small amount for Carpenter, is uh, I think you can tell their influence made a difference. Uh, as a film, I think my expectations maybe once again got the better of me a little bit because I was hearing a lot of hype. I knew that they were really proud of this film, and I was hoping for something that was a fitting uh, either send off or at least just at least a se- uh, proper sequel to the original film. Because I don't know, I think Halloween Two, the uh, original Halloween Two, it, it's fine. It's not really like my favorite. It's right down the middle for me. Like I think it does its job, but. I don't really have strong feelings towards it one way or the other. It's just kind of a serviceable sequel, I think. And uh, this film, I think it's interesting to get rid of the uh, sibling dynamic. Uh, I I think it does bring back that element of Michael just being like this like uh, faceless evil that he was, where he was just like slashing through people with little to no remorse and just like not so much like a man like on a vengeance, but so much as just like a man who is pure evil, who just goes and kills uh, at will. And I think there is a really compelling way that the film kind of mirrors the original as far as like a number of shots and references as a uh, Jamie Lee Curtis Laurie becomes like, so like so affected by this trauma that she uh, pre- uh, prepares for Michael's return and has like, no real connection to humanity throughout her life. Like she has multiple failed marriages. She has uh, not a strong connection to her family dynamic as it is. And, uh, but she, she is, you know, strong will. She knows that the, the reckoning is going to come again. And I think it's a, that's a theme that is interesting, but it doesn't have any salty in this film. It's just something that's said straightforward. And I wish there was more to that angle. I wish the movie spent more time, on Laurie and Jamie Lee Curtis, because I feel like her story is only really like a fraction of the film, and I was expecting it to be the whole thing mostly. And I feel like that's a shame because I think Jamie Lee Curtis, she's great. I think this is maybe her best performance in the series. I think she does a great job with this character, and I think there's a weight and an emotional honesty to the, the portrayal that I think she brings that really makes the film ultimately work, in my opinion. But I, I find myself, I guess, more mixed. And I'll explain more of why I have kind of mixed feelings towards the film in a bit. But I, I think there's a lot here to like, and there's a lot here I find myself frustrated and disappointed by. Interesting. I I think you're right that this is probably her best performance in the series. And that makes sense because, I mean, she's bringing decades of now experience and wisdom as an actor to a role that you just tell that she does care about and is kind of giving it her all to to bring forth. And you buy every scene she's in, I think. 
I, I kind of agree with you in the sense of uh, the sibling dynamic being something that kind of, it does sort of push the emphasis on the pure evil side of Michael Myers. You almost feel like the movie's trying to get you away from this, you know, even the characters themselves are trying to get into his head and, you know, the movie's rejecting that as a worthwhile effort. And I, I see that that's one of the things I do like about this. I, I think getting rid of the sibling dynamic allows you to avoid you know, subject material or subject matter, I should say, that the sequels spent too much time on. They spent a lot of time on sort of equating almost Laurie Schrode and Michael Myers because they were siblings and, you know, does his evil stretch to her and all of those questions they've been done before. We've already seen that movie. This kind of put a little bit of freshness to it. You know, they, they feel more like yin and yang instead. And you start to question, you know, her as her mother. And there's a more generational story here with her daughter, played by Judy Greer, uh, with a the granddaughter. There is a bit more, you know, of, of a story being told between those three generations and, and how pain and trauma affects people and how it trickles down uh, into your children. And, you know, there are some hanging threads there that are they're at the margins, which is strange. I think mm-hmm. a lot of to what you were saying, it's it's so overt about what it's saying because honestly, it's not dwelling on it in the meat of the film. The meat of the film is Michael Myers going on another rampage. And it's strange because so much of the middle parts of this are straightforward slasher. And I think that's what frustrates me. I think that you should have had a movie that was a bit more lean, like the first one, that is a bit shorter. And the the slashing uh, didn't feel like it was in service of these kind of like side stories that I think the writers cared about more, honestly. And I, it to me, it signals that the studio just wanted to make another slash horror film and then if it was too cerebral uh it would scare people away uh in the wrong way uh so that that's kind of where i come away from this right i think this is like a a frankenstein monster of interesting filmmaking uh doing the scares and it it is competent It, it is you know some of the deaths, some of the way that Michael Myers uh, hunts and does his thing, they're, they're still as interesting and fun to watch as ever, but th- the good stuff is few and far between once you get to the main action. And that that's what frustrated me as well. By the time it ended, I, I honestly, it was kind of like, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it really, I wasn't uh, satisfying for me uh, yeah, kind of at that all. Was, uh, that's a response a lot of people in my audience had as well. Right. I think. That might influence how the movie is received, truth be told. That's right. I think that that's. Uh, <laughs> I think that's that's uh, true. I I I'm not really sure, you know, because this premiered at Toronto uh, International Film Festival, and yeah, the reviews to me, it did seem like most people were were good with it. I wonder if the experience of seeing it with a lot of big Halloween fans might have made it something that, you know, definitely to people felt like a return of form. What did you think though, like? There, there's this whole subplot involving podcasters and that, I don't know, Will Ashton, did that, that hit uh, home for you? Like it hit home for me almost? I I mean, I always find it interesting how movies portray podcasting. I mean, it's, it's safe to say that most professions are not portrayed <laughs> accurately in films. Like, I think that's a fair point to say. Oh, yes. And I never, like, I, I always find it, I guess, amusing how uh, Hollywood tends to portray podcasting. Like people, like they're just like glorified, uh, like journalists slash like um, uh, radio hosts. They're just kind of like they don't have like they either have like too big equipment 
like a show like God's Not Dead, where like the they have like a radio set up in like this guy's like New York apartment, <laughs> or it's like very small. And it's just like I, I I don't really believe them as podcasters. That's the just my answer. Yeah, I, I'm kind of right there with you, and it you know there are a lot of things that are set up in Wait, that they first. Call it- uh, God's not dead. So God friended me. Oh yeah, you did. But oh, I figured bad, you sorry. were. <laughs> God friended me. Also, God's not dead. I mean, God can't be dead if He friended you. Yeah, I I look at this and you know the whole the subplot stuff with the podcasting and there's this whole thing involving like these mental patients that you you get the feeling that it's going to put something different in the film. Like there's going to be a you know is there going to be a twist with all of these other characters you're introducing. And the movie just sort of disposes with its own interesting raised questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I I was very frustrated by that. And I was like, it just leaned right into what the first movie was. And I was like, well, you have it right there. That's the movie you could have done. You could have put, you could have injected. That, that's what got me excited about the trailers. It was like, you could have injected these elements that you already put in the film, but things just sort of drop. And then there's this whole, including with this, this twist that is very easy to see coming, but nevertheless, I mean, you want it to happen. You want to see how it shakes up the film. Cause like, okay, this is the moment where the film goes off the rails and you want it to do that. And it doesn't. And I think Mm -hmm. that is what is seriously limiting it. Uh, I was more disappointed than not. Um, I don't know where you and I sort of differ, uh, review wise, but, uh, yeah, so do you think they're going to make another one? I mean, without spoiling anything, I mean, are you open to the idea of another one? I, I mean, yeah, like, not talking from a story standpoint, just from a financial standpoint, it seems pretty likely because this movie's doing quite well at the box office. And uh, I think there is a potential to make another one. I don't know if they should or if it would be the best interest of everyone involved, but mm-hmm. I, I think that's more likely than not going to happen. Yeah, so on that note, uh, yeah, let's get into our final thoughts and, and grades, and we can talk about how it's doing um, uh, approval-wise. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I've already said it, uh, and I've been bouncing between a C plus and a B minus. Um, I, th- I think I think I got to go to C plus on this one, just because I, I the more I think about it, the more I'm I'm really disappointed and. Uh, I feel weird about that grade because I do wonder like who is going to like this or who, you know, maybe in this current Halloween cycle, I think people will will like it the first time, but I just see a lot of hardcore fans kind of shrugging and maybe they're better off watching some of the, uh, the original films instead. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I think we're actually right in line with each other on this one. Um, Yeah. You mentioned this is, I think one of the longest, if not the longest Halloween film and I think there is this opportunity in the film to be a really compelling uh, like return to Laurie that explores trauma. I mean, those ideas were brought up in H2O, but mm-hmm. with no real like depth or honesty. And this movie has a chance to do it better. But unfortunately, like you said, it kind of opts for this uh, traditional slasher film. And I, it, it does feel kind of repetitious after a point, especially in the middle yeah when like michael's just going around killing these like teenagers we care little to nothing about and uh i think the film like i think one thing about the original especially rewatching it this weekend is that i mean only like what like three or four people are seen killed by michael myers in the original film at least on camera i mean he kills more people but uh like we, we only really see a handful of people get murdered and i think that saves the film from ever getting repetitious i think it keeps the thrill and suspense of it and this film it was compelling at first. I mean, I love that tracking shot where he's just kind of like wandering mm-hmm. home and like 
very like purposely just going up and killing people willy nilly. I I've had discussions about with people about whether or not he should have killed that baby, and I don't quite know where I stand on that. But um, yeah, I don't. I, I think there's a better film in here, and I'm disappointed. I think like you that the film doesn't quite reach the high mark that I hoped it would. And I I should also mention that I think another thing that bothered me about the film was the comedy, which is not to say I mind comedy in yeah. a Halloween film. I mean, a lot of them like uh, Halloween Resurrection gets very very silly, and I think that's actually the result of some of the more amusing moments in the series. But yeah, I think I agree uh, with that. I, I think the comedy in here feels very conflicting. Yeah, I, I don't want to say it's just Danny McBride's influence because I know he's a comedic writer of the group, but a lot of the jokes feel like his writing and they don't quite fit the tone that they're trying to go for. And it, it felt very like off-putting and uneven and distracting. And it made the film feel kind of clunky to me at times because like, they're pretty good about setting up suspense and then they'll like, throw in like a dick joke and it's like, okay. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it kind of undercuts what you're going for here, but... I think they wanted it to lighten the tension or they're trying to, yeah, do quips and things like that. But instead, you just sort of... You, because none of the rest of the movie informs that humor, you're just thinking, oh, a screenwriter wrote that. Was Oh, is that... Yeah, I mean, you, if you're asking those questions and you're thinking about the script, I think that's a failure of the film. Right. I mean... In those moments. Maybe if it was, like, toned down a little bit. Like, some of the jokes are okay. Like, I like that one character is just like, Oh, you're the new Loomis? Like, just, like, offhandedly like that. Like, I think that was kind of funny. There's a kid that gets babysat here who feels like he knows what movie he's in. Yeah, right. He's just like, I- I'm not directed this. <laughs> uh, I thought he he was fun. Like, I kind of wish... If there was only, like, one comedic character, I wish it was just him. Um, But, like, like the dad character, like, Judy Greer's husband, I thought he was terrible. Yeah. Like, all of his uh... comedy bits were really, really bad. And, like, I don't know. I just, like, to me, like, like... It just annoys me. I think that's where I am with you. Like, where it's just like there's this good film, this really, really good film in here, and it just kind of is on the margins, like you say. It's not quite there, but it's in grass, and that's what makes it, I think more annoying than like some of the lesser sequels where there wasn't really that potential because it was overdrawn and overdone. There's a chance to really revive itself, and it only reached a margin of its potential. So yeah, I'm between a C plus and a B minus as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll give it a tentative B minus because I do the stuff I like, I do really like, and that includes John Carpenter's score with his son and someone else. And that was in his band. I, I think it's really compelling. I think the atmosphere in the film is good. I think there's a lot in here. I like, I just kind of wish it was better, but like you, I think there might be a time, especially if I think about it more where it does become a C plus. Cause like you said, I mean, I am ultimately more disappointed than not. And I, I do wish it had reached its potential. Yeah. So. I, I, I can't get quite with you on the atmosphere thing. Uh, it didn't work for me. And I think maybe that's what's holding me back from maybe, getting yeah. to a, a low B minus. But okay, yeah. Uh, critics don't quite, I don't know if they agree with us, but I think the average rating is about in line with what we're saying because it has an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, but the average rating is only 6.8 out of 10. So that that's about like a C plus, B minus kind of thing. Um, and yeah. Yeah, it, it, like a B, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and the cinema score um, is uh, currently a, a B plus. So, you know, mm. uh, fans like it enough, apparently. But that's Halloween. I think if you're a big fan of the series, you should see it. Uh, if you've watched all the other ones, why not this one? <laughs> that kind of thing. But if yeah. you're going to love it, uh, not quite sure if that's going to be the case. And um, I should know. I mean, we should make a point. I think we said it before, but just in case it's not clear. Um 
if you only have seen the first one, you're good. Like you don't need to see any of the other Halloween films. Oh, yeah. If you want to see the other ones, you can, but you only need to see the first one as a uh, requirement. So right, right. Just know that going in. Well, that'll do it for our review of Halloween. Curious to hear what Maverick Hines thought of it. Uh, we'll have to ask him next time he's on the show. But for now, let's get into our mini reviews. Uh, the other big wide release this week was The Hate You Give. Uh, this is based on the best-selling YA book by Angie Thomas. Uh, it was directed by George Tillman Jr. It was also written by Audrey Wells, who sadly passed away. Uh, the book came out, uh, very early 2017. So this film is releasing very, very soon after, uh, this, this hit the bestseller list on the New York times. I think it was on the bestseller list. It was like number one for a very, very long time. We even talked, I think we talked about it during one of our on tap segments last year because of a controversy involving a book called handbook for mortals, which, uh, Kaylee Donaldson came on and talked to me about, uh, because that was a book that was trying to become a YA movie, uh, by basically like cheating the system, uh, and it's interesting because Hate You Give oh, yeah. succeeded, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, that was a while ago. It was about a little over a year ago now. But anyway, The Hate You Give stars Amanda Stenberg, Regina Hall, Russell Hornsby, KJ Appa, Algie Smith, Lamar Johnson, Issa Rae, Sabrina Carpenter, Common, and Anthony Mackey. It is about a young girl who witnesses a police shooting and her community uh, starts to react with protests and she has to decide if she's going to take a stand. Uh, it's so Black Lives Matter obviously is is a very big theme here. This is a very political movie, uh, not necessarily you know the uh, you know Washington D.C. kind of political, but it's absolutely a very very contentious cultural issue, uh, and that is the police brutality of African Americans and how this affects communities. Uh, it, it's this is a this is a tough one to watch. Now I saw this one uh, pretty recently. Blashin, uh when did you see this? I saw this, I think, three weeks ago now. Okay, so it's been a little bit of a while. So you've had some time to think about it. Uh, I premiered at Toronto International Film Festival, uh, I think early September. And it's been doing kind of a slow, limited release. Uh, I absolutely love this movie personally. Um, it's it's long. Uh, we, we didn't say it, but Halloween is about an hour 45. This is a little over two hours. Um, I think it's like two hours, 10, 12 minutes. And yeah, I think um, I think everything yeah. we're going to be talking about in mini reviews is fairly long. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although, I, how ironically, Halloween felt the longest. It me. felt longer. It wasn't that long. Yeah, yeah. I know, but uh, it felt long to me. I guess it's <laughs> that rep- the repetition of it. I guess felt long. Well, well, this wasn't a film. I think I liked this film more than you. You talked about it in mini reviews a couple weeks ago, and uh, I, I got I kind of got the sense that. Uh, well, I'll let you speak for yourself. Uh, you kind of refresh people. Where, where did you land on this film? Yeah, I like the film. Um, I read the book as well. Actually, I think I read it uh, shortly after that episode you were talking about. Uh, uh, so ironically, okay. the film that book trying to uh, this like take the hey you give off the bestseller list actually gained it more people reading it. At least yeah, for me, I think that's maybe true. you. So uh, yeah, I mean, I like I like the book a lot. It's very. I think I said in the episode when I reviewed it, it's going to be like one of those books I think is going to be read in classes. I think it's going to be a book that's mm-hmm. going to be discussed and uh, read and learned about uh for many many generations because i just think it is such a pivotal book about this generation and i think it is really resonant and heartfelt and meaningful and i think the movie does a good job of communicating that i think ultimately the book 
uh, I, I think it does more, and I think it communicates better some of the themes that it's exploring. I, I think the film only gets some of that potential. However, I do think the movie is certainly very good as an adaptation of the book, and I think it gets to the heart of what the book was trying to communicate. So, I, I do like the I like the book. I like the movie overall. I just don't think it's quite as good as the book. I think that's where I land on it. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit more positive. I I actually consider this a really good adaptation. I think that they were able to put in the the important aspects of the book and a lot of other stuff that I wasn't expecting they were going to keep in. Uh, I think that they managed to. I actually do appreciate that they gave the the local community uh, time in this film. They set it up pretty well. There's there is a lot of voiceover narration um, toward the beginning, but they keep it going throughout the film. Um, because you do hear her voice. And I thought that was important because, you know, the way that Star views the world, the way that she describes it, it's wonderful dialogue. And I'm glad that they did keep it because part of her voice is what makes the book so compelling to read because of the just the way that she talks about things, the way that she interprets things. They, they're always interesting. They're always adding something to the film. And I don't normally say that about voiceover narration because usually it feels cheap. It feels kind of lazy. Um, it doesn't always work here. I think that it, it's kind of overdone in the original, in like the opening. And there are parts of this film where they don't have it, which I think kind of saves it from feeling stunted. Uh, I think the way that they explain Uncle Carlos, for example, again, a character I wasn't sure that they were going to find room for, but I think is so pivotal to this story. So their Uncle yeah, Carlos, totally. uh, played by Common, uh, plays uh, Star's uncle. He helped raise her, but he's also a police officer. And so, you know, watching this movie, this isn't a movie that tries to pretend like it's a one-sided issue. It is something that people are debating. It obviously ha- it takes a stand on one side, which I appreciate, but it doesn't pretend like there aren't any compelling arguments on the other side. It confronts mm-hmm. them and it actually brings them to light. And, and it, it, this is one of those movies, I think for the reason you, you would consider a film watching in class, it's because it's a conversation starter and you can, you can take different ideas from it. Even if you, I, I think that it just, it doesn't make a monolith out of the black community. You know, it, actually feels authentically divided on where people stand on certain things. There is sort of this like united protest around the death of one of the characters, which is what sets this whole thing off. And I do appreciate that they bring that, you know, that there is a unification on that, but there's also disagreements on should the protests be peaceful? You know, should we escalate? What do we do here? And, you know, it, it doesn't make it feel like the Black Lives Matter movement is, you know, something that's easy. You know, that, that's that for, for everyone involved. And so I really appreciate that. And uh, I think just speaking on the performances, I think that's that what that's what makes this film um, not just an important story, but an important story well told. Uh, this is one of those films that I, it's not flashy. It's not, you know, Tillman isn't going for anything here that we haven't necessarily seen before. Uh, he's almost sort of embracing the YA aspect of the book. You know, the, what we kind of expect from like the Twilight movies, that sort of like set up the, the things that kind of get teenagers, you know, interested. He uses all of that to this film's advantage to break them in. Um, yeah. he's not trying to be, too. yeah, Harry Potter especially. I, but he's not using any of that material to sort of like make his creative or artistic mark necessarily. He's letting the actors do that. And I think mm-hmm. that was a brilliant decision because Amanda Stenberg in here is absolutely wonderful. Um, I think she's yeah. probably best known for playing Rue in the Hunger Games, the first one. Yeah, I and think, uh, she's a 
yeah, I think she deserves some award attention for this film. I think she is truly fantastic. And I think her performance is maybe my favorite thing about the film. I think it's really, really great. And I can't wait to see what she does next. Cause I think the way she communicated the inner life of star and the struggles that she deals with, I think was amazing. I, I really was taken by her performance. Same here. Uh, I was, I was absolutely floored by her performance. Um, I got really emotional multiple times in this film and uh, I give it a lot of credit for, it, it didn't feel manipulative. It didn't feel like the movie was telling me to feel sad or anything like that. It was just being blunt. And I think that's different. And it, it worked for me here. I want to put special attention on Russell Hornsby who plays Maverick, uh, you know, obviously our co-host. Um, different Maverick, obviously, but no, he plays uh, Star's father, Maverick, and I think people probably best know him from uh, Lincoln Heights. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched that show. It was like back back in like the days when in ABC Family it wasn't freeform quite yet, uh, and he was also uh, in Fences pretty recently. Huh. So you know, I've been watching his career with a lot of interest. I think that he's a, one of those actors that uh, kind of you know I don't think has been fully. His potential, I don't think, has been fully realized on the big screen quite yet, um, but he was wonderful in Lincoln Heights. And here, he he has several moments that I just thought were absolutely fantastic to, to see. Uh, mm -hmm. Just You can really tell that these are all actors who want to be here, who want to be in these roles. Um, if there were any weak points, I'd say Anthony Mackie is doing yes, something. I was going to say. I'm yeah. not sure what it is. It, it doesn't quite work. Fortunately, he's a character that sort of exists more as an idea, not really a fully realized uh, character in some ways. What do you think? I have some points to make about that. but Okay, please. No, 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 no that, that's well, it. Okay, I was going to say, um, there, there are only the two perform. I agree. I think all the performances, the performances on the whole, I think are really, really good and really compelling, heartfelt, meaningful performances. But Regina Hall, just to put her out there. Yeah, I was going to say, go. Regina Hall, uh, I think she's having a great year especially with um, Support the Girls as well. Yeah. I thought she uh, was great in that film too. And uh, yeah, Anthony Mackie though, I I wouldn't undersell that his performance because like, I think it's not that good. And I think he's a big reason why I have some like kind of, com I, I am not able to love the movie as much as you did because he is such a pivotal character in the book. And I do think King is, he needs to be like a menacing figure. I think he needs to kind of have a little more weight in the story and he always feels like he's on the side and he doesn't have yeah. what I felt was really necessary for that character. And yeah, in the scheme of things it doesn't hurt the film, but I do think it, it is fairly detrimental more so than you're suggesting. I think I was so. just able to overlook it because I think he's kind of overshadowed and um, maybe, maybe I just didn't get the same conclusion from the book as, him as being sort of pivotal. Well, as one of the primary antagonists, it, it, is telling that you don't really like he's like an afterthought in the scheme of things especially because like one of the biggest moments in the, the uh book is kind of like thrown to the side like oh yeah this happened uh sure, which sure. kind of odd <laughs> but uh what what they did to replace it was really really compelling if a, a little on the nose but mm -hmm. um yeah no i mean i think that performance didn't quite work for me and i have kind of mixed feelings about the archer kid or archie kid um What's his I name? thought he was fine. I, I, I honestly, I didn't think the performance yeah. was bad. I just felt like he didn't look like a high schooler to me. I just don't. I've been watching enough Riverdale that I, I honestly, I buy it. I because he's, he just looked like he's he Kenyatta. Like, he just yeah. He, he reminded me of Steve Buscemi with the skateboard and Thirty Rock. It was just like, <laughs> hello, fellow kids. It's me, uh, a fellow teenager. He's I'm not 25. even that old. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I think know, Riverdale I mean, I fans will have an like, easier time. 
I think it might just be like the black hair dye or something. I don't know what it is, but he just looked older than everyone else in that high school. Uh, I will agree with you that I do think a better actor could have been in this role. I'm so sorry, Archie Bunker. Um, I or well, sorry, was not Archie Bunker. Archie, uh, what's his name? Matthews? Day- I don't remember I, actually. I don't, but, He's Archie. Um, Archie, yes. Andrews. He was a Archie purpose, Andrews. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, he was like a last minute thing. So I, I am a little sympathetic that he had to come in at the last minute. Yeah. Uh, and fill in the role. Like, I, I'm sure they had to shoot those scenes fairly quick to get it ready for the film. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's not bad. I just, it, it was distracting me. It just didn't feel like I was able to over, like, the see beyond the performance, if that makes sense. Like, it just felt like, oh, he's acting because he's obviously not a teenager in this world because he's like 25. <laughs> He's not 25. Um, I, I do think uh, Sabrina Carpenter was a good casting decision. She kind of has that like Disney Channel, you know. Oh, yeah, she's great. Kinda, yeah. Uh, but I, I, Algie Smith plays Khalil, stars childhood best friend. And mm-hmm. uh, he was in Detroit as well. And I was really, really eagerly anticipating to see his next thing. And I think this was a wonderful casting decision. He definitely nails that character in a way that you just you just love him, but you also you know you, you also understand like his backstory, what causes, what happens to him, and uh, he he does a wonderful job as Khalil. Uh, we could go on all day, but uh, I think for me, main point, uh, and I'll I'll wrap up with my grade. I I just think that this is one of those films that is you know we, we I, I like to grade films on you know is it technically good, uh, but also you know does it matter. And this is one of those films where I think it matters. It, it, the story matters, and I think people need to see it. I think we can agree with that for sure. And I I think it's also just ver- a very well-told story where I think almost all the performances are there. I think we just differ on a few. But, you know, I think I agree with you. Like, on balance, you can you can look at this and you can really see uh, a shining light on a lot of these characters. No pun intended with Star, of course. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I, I give this one an A-. I, I think it's a must-see. Yeah, I'm not far, I'm not far behind you. I gave it a B plus. Um, really worth seeing. I think a lot of people are going to be moved, and I think it's gonna it's gonna work for a lot of people who like the book. And I'm hoping that they get to check it out. Yeah, I I wish more people were watching it. Uh, it's not doing well at the box office quite oh, really? yet. Hopefully, it's gonna do a little bit better. Yeah, it's only made a f- um, so it costs about twenty three million. It's only made about five so far. Uh, so hopefully it'll it'll pick up a bit. That's um, uh, that's surprising to me because I was um on Friday morning I was at a theater to see a screening and I saw that the Hate You Give like two of the night showings that Friday were already sold out. So I thought really? it was doing pretty well. Yeah, I thought it was doing really. I well. I hope that's a good sign ahead. Yeah, and maybe the numbers aren't quite in yet. Um, this might just be because it did hit limited release, so the numbers might not be all the way. Um, it's projected to get close to 10 million by the end of the weekend. So it's definitely not going to be a flop, I don't think. But yeah, it's, it only made about two million, two and a half million on its first day of wide release, uh, which includes Thursday. So uh, not great so far, but the reviews have been wonderful. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Average rating is an 8.2 out of 10, pretty high. And uh, yeah, it looks like people are agreeing with the Amanda Stenberg performance. And this, uh, this is one of those films that definitely uh, people should go check out. It has an A plus cinema score. So we haven't seen one of those That's, in a while. Um, mm-hmm. But okay, that was a much longer than usual mini review. <laughs> um, 
but I'm glad we had a chance to, to discuss The Hate You Give. I think it's an important film. Will Ashton, you saw a new film called The Old Man and the Gun, which I missed my screening for twice. Oh, no. um, and I'm so angry right now because I really want to see this. this is the new David Lowry film. Uh, mm-hmm. What is it? And what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's being touted as uh, the swan song for Rod Redford, the actor. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I don't know if it's, it's officially his retirement movie, but it's being suggested as such. It's, well, yeah, um, he announced his intent to retire um, this past August. So a lot of people are taking that to mean that this is his last film. But yeah, I think uh, last I heard someone was just like, is this your last film? He's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like nothing like profound or prophetic. Just like, yeah, I think that's enough. Which we'll I get. I mean, you know, I mean, Robert Redford, he's been around for like, what, four or five decades I mean, now? I All mean, the President's to... Men, I think, was his breakout role. And that was, was it? quite a long um, time be- ago. Was that before Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Um, would you consider that his breakout role? Because I think I... so, yeah. Okay. I mean, like, I think that's fairly a prominent film for him. And he was a, one of the lead roles. And I think it's important because I think the movie is like this movie, uh, The Old Man Again, is harking back to his... Uh, days where he was like in the sting and butch cassidy where he was kind of the outlaw with uh charm and a heart of gold in some ways like he mm-hmm. plays up and to he did charisma. win he did win an oscar before the old president's end right for the uh for the sting right yeah i think so, about you're probably right because i mean that was sorry i now that i think about it butch cassidy that was like uh, not a decade before all the presidents man but it was quite a bit before right yeah so. i just kind of figured like he he's uh he's been around you know he's he's been yeah. a guy who's uh I think he's been around like for all of us in many ways, and uh, he's very deserving of a final film tribute that honors that legacy. And I think that's mainly what this is. Like it's a, it's a call. It's you know it's him looking back, being kind of wistful and remorseful, looking back on his career. Where as in a way, like you know he kind of made out like a bandit. You know he just he uh, was gonna I think at one point be like a basketball player, and then like he got drunk and lost his sponsorship, and then he like kind of fell into acting. And then he just became this huge like movie star. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of like, you know, he's like gotten really lucky, I think, over the years. And but that's no uh, slight against his talents. I think he is extremely charismatic. I think he, you know, is a wonderful screen presence. And that is shown quite brightly in this movie. I mean, I think someone if, if you're going into this movie expecting another uh, a ghost story, you're probably going to be maybe a little confused because uh, <laughs> this is a lot more straightforward. Uh, this is not like like. Uh, going for anything quite as like deep and profound as that movie it's a lot more slight it's a lot more uh grounded and simple in its approach uh but there is a quiet loveliness to the film it is a biopic right so yeah it's based on a true story um it's based on a new yorker uh story which i've been mean to read i i heard it's a really good uh story to read and i think the movie is going to probably encourage a lot of people to read that because um it's a really interesting story. I guess like should explain in part that it's um it's about this kind of old uh, bank robber who's like he didn't like you know go around with a mask and like threaten people. He'd just like go in with like a hat and a mustache and just be like charm the people, you know, kind of talk pleasantries and then just be like, I got a gun here. Uh, I just kind of need you to open the vault. But he'd like be very polite and like a gentleman. They'd call him like he he was you know doing these bad things, but he was doing it in a fairly approachable, nice way probably the place uh criminal you could ever see in your days and uh i i think the movie is ultimately what it is because of Rod redford because his performance well it's not necessarily a challenging one for him i don't think is one that i think only really someone his caliber could ultimately do as well as he does i mean he 
he is kind of playing to his strengths here, and he also is uh, joined by Sissy Spadek, who's always wonderful, as, as always, and I think um, she does a great job as well working with Rod Redford, and I think their chemistry is really nice and warm and sweet. Uh, and I think it's a movie that I, I've talked more than I expected to about, because there's not really much to say. It's just really good for what it is, but it doesn't do anything out of the mold. It, it doesn't try to do anything that breaks the mold. It it just it is what it is. It's nice and sweet, and I think the target audience for it is, is really going to enjoy and be taken by it. But uh, I I don't think it's anything that's going to be in my memory bank for too long. Other than oh yeah, that was what Robert Redford's last film was. Um, but if he does get some award consideration for it, I can understand it. I don't think it's his best performance per se, but. I do think it is one that is a very fitting and lovely tribute to a guy who has been around, like we said, for quite a long time. And I think I think a lot of people are going to like it. So I'm going to give it a B plus. I think that's uh, I think it's one. It's going to be a crowd pleaser. I think a lot of people are going to like it. Oh, man. Makes me excited to see it. Um, yeah, I, I did a little bit of a fact check uh, to make sure we were we were definitely talking truth here. Uh, and actually, I'm a little surprised because I thought his first role was inside Daisy Clover. Um, because he won mm-hmm. a Golden Globe for that. Uh, that was 1965. Yeah. But I looked it up. Actually, his first film was War Hunt, which I've never seen. <laughs> that was all the way back in 1962. Uh, I didn't realize. I thought All the President's Men was much earlier in his career because um, I thought like it was like within yeah, like within the decade. But yeah, you're right. And then Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was his breakout role because that was 1969, and it was uh, it was a huge hit. And then he did Jeremiah Johnson in 72. Um, and then the sting yeah, Maya Johnson, uh, yeah. that's responsible for my favorite gift of all time. Oh, uh, which one, one is that? Like share with the group where it's like him on the horse. And he like uh. the camera zooms in, he like smiles <laughs> and he like, he nods. That's uh, it's my favorite gift. I just use uh. it whenever I can, but I think it's from Jeremiah Jones. I, I believe that's right. Yeah. I don't remember for sure. Uh, 73's the sting <laughs> was, te- is technically the biggest hit of Robert Redford's career, which I had no idea. Um, oh yeah yeah so, so um one of the few like i think one of the five movies my dad has ever talked about like he doesn't really talk about movies but he's like this thing that was a good one yeah so, i i uh, can see yeah. why yeah. <laughs> yeah um i i love robert redford uh it's a it's a wonderful career and i'm i'm glad that he's going out on a high note um you know and maybe he'll do something again but i mean the guy's in his 80s now so he deserves to uh take a break and yeah i mean wants. we should also um he's the guy behind sundance um yeah you know going beyond uh he's a sundance kid actor yeah exactly that's where the name comes from right um yeah i mean so i think he, he he's not gonna be going away i think for like ever but i think he's he probably still gonna be a producer i mean he produced old man and the gun so right yeah that's what i mean so i think he'll be around yeah. like behind the scenes i think he'll still champion like uh independent film as he has mm-hmm. already but as an actor i think this is probably gonna be his last one unless like something else calls him but I don't know if that'll happen or not, but I don't think he's really interested in doing much after this as far as an actor is as far as being his actor is concerned. Well, that's the old man and the gun. Let's talk about a wildly different film in every conceivable way. And that's Apostle. Okay. Um, Apostle is a the newest film on Netflix. We've both have seen it. Uh, it is a British American sort of horror film, but also like a period drama. It was written and directed by Gareth Evans, probably best known at this point. Uh, for doing uh, the Raid movies. Um, and uh, he didn't just do the Raid movies. Didn't he also do... Um, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, Maranto? Is that what it's called? Maranto? Yeah, it was like a film from like 2009, 2010. Um, 
but, but it stars Iko Uwais, who was, it was like his first film. So like, I'll look it up. Usually, I, uh, yeah. I only know him from the Raid films, so uh, I'll okay. double check that now while you keep talking. Cool. Perfect. Um, so this new film, Apostle, uh, one of the reasons I was interested in it, because it, it debuted on uh, Netflix pretty recently, it had its world premiere at Fantastic Fest. I didn't really hear anything positive coming out of Fantastic Fest. I heard kind of like middling things. Um, but it hit streaming officially on October 12th, and it's been getting, you know, sort of po- uh, like positive reviews. I, I've seen you know, nothing, nothing terrible. But uh, one of the reasons I really wanted to see this was because of three actors who are in it, Dan Stevens, Lucy Boynton, and Michael Sheen, who I haven't seen Michael Sheen in a little while. Um, but uh, I'm a big fan. He's the he, he really is a, a wonderful one to watch. Yeah, but also he been doing um, Master of Sex for a while. Right, which I think is still going. Um, no, I, think I got I'm, canceled. Uh, is it did it get canceled? Because I, I stopped watching yeah, it the fourth season. Uh, which was like a couple of years ago now. Uh, the last film I remember him from, I think, was Midnight in Paris, though. Uh, has he been in anything? Oh, stuff has he? Because I can't remember. Yeah. I guess well, um, um, for, well, there's... Uh, I'll, I'll try to remember the last thing I did. But before I forget, you were right. That was his uh, film before the raid. Uh, what's it uh, called? Okay. Meritiantu, or how you pronounce it? I think it's Merintau. But uh, Meritau, yeah, yeah, we might both be getting it wrong, unfortunately. Um, so we apologize. But... Uh, yeah, I don't remember what he's done since Midnight in Paris. Uh, I think the first film that really caught my attention with, with uh, Michael Sheen was probably, um, oh Frost gosh, Nixon. Uh, Frost Nixon. Yes, thank you. Which was uh, the, uh, obviously, he plays David Frost interviewing Nixon and, and what a fantastic performance. So I was really excited to see this film because I've been really excited with Dan Stevens lately. Uh, his his performance on Legion has been very interesting. I've been liking everything Dan Stevens is in, honestly. I even liked that, like, uh, you know, Charles Dixon, Charles Dickens, Charles Dickens movie. Yeah, which I thought he kind of made that a lot better than it should have been. Uh, but also Lucy Boynton, who uh, was one of the best things about Sing Street. Uh, she was fantastic in that film. And I, she's also going to be in uh oh she was in murder in the orient express which was you know whatever but she's also like, in bohemian rhapsody like uh, oh yeah um, right which we yeah, aren't talking about I, yet i didn't know she was going to be a bohemian rhapsody i see that pretty soon yeah i am supposed to see that tuesday and i'm not going to be able to unfortunately some traveling so you'll be able to give me the sneak peek review oh okay yeah i'm very bummed out um because i feel like you're gonna hate it and then i'm gonna have to i don't know i'll, I'll go with open mind uh i just I haven't been encouraged by anything I've seen about the film so far, but I want it to be good. Obviously, Queen's, you know, one of the best bands ever. But any case, uh, let's go talking about this. That's, that's right. This is another really long film, as we alluded to. Uh, this one also is about two hours and 10 minutes. And it's interesting. It's about a guy who was a he's a former Christian missionary. Um, we won't reveal kind of more of his backstory, but it is very interesting. It's very much of the time. Um, it's, it's in like the early 1900s and Dan Stevens plays this man named Thomas Richardson who goes to a remote Welsh Island that is home to a very strange and bizarre cult. Uh, and he's trying to find his sister and he uncovers, you know, this, there's very, this, where the horror elements kind of come in very wicker man esque sort of mm-hmm. conspiracy. And from there, things kind of hit the fan. So, well, Ashton, uh, what, what did you think of this one? Uh, were you uh, were you a fan of Apostle? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought up The Wicker Man because uh, that's exactly what I was thinking of while I was watching it. Like, uh, I, I do think the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man is uh, a very fun, bad film. In the sense For sure. That it, it is a terrible film. 
but I, I find it very amusing in just how bad it is. But if I if I, you wanted a respectful like actual remake of the Wicker Man, this is pretty close to what I think um, it should have been. Uh, it, it's a film that I think I actually liked it more than most people I've talked to so far. Uh, and I'm, I, I mean, I just uh, watched it the other day, so I'm still kind of processing my thoughts on it. But yeah, I mean, there's not really much about it I dislike. Uh, I'm curious because it sounded like you were more kind of mixed in the film than I was. So I'm curious to hear what you disliked about it. But there's nothing really in here I can fault from what I can think of. Like, I think it's really well done. I, I think it might be a little slow going for some people. Like, I can understand, like, knowing it's the guy that did the raid, like, doesn't really get into any action of any sort until, like, close to the hour mark. So I couldn't believe be- that this was the guy who did the raid movies. Those films are so good at kinetic energy. And here, this, well, that's, yeah. what I, that's, that's what I like about this. I like that he's challenging himself. Like, it sure. seems like he's like, he's like, okay, like people associate me with the raid films. Like they're going to expect. And I, I don't fault like- it. Yeah. I don't fault him for doing something different at all, to be fair. But, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you say that, but like I was never bored by the film. Like I was really drawn in. I'm not a guy who's like in the period pieces. Like I tend to not enjoy them. But this movie, I was never bored by it. I was there's always something that kind of kept my interest. And maybe it's just Dan Stevens' crazy eyes that always kind of like draw me in. Just like who is <laughs> they this hypnotize? Man? Who who, um, who is behind this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where the problems for me happen. Honestly, uh, as much as I am a shill for Dan Stevens, uh, this this to me. It, it it reminded me a lot also of Bioshock Infinite. Um, a lot of the subject matter is the same, and it, which isn't a horror game actually, but it, it is kind of like drawing on these ideas of like false prophets, of occults, of uh, people you know praying to their beliefs. Uh, and I don't mean that with uh, the the put your hands together praying. And I I think the things that I liked here. The, its willingness to go dark, the the willingness to show some very gory set pieces that aren't gory in a bad way. I think like they they don't feel like they're just trying to shock you. They feel like they're trying to create atmosphere. That they're trying to show you the extent of these people's toxicity and the danger of them. And to me, that's when gore is at its best. Uh, so I give this film plenty of credit for that. I think that that that's where it's probably at its best. I think that its main antagonist is just stupid and i think that a about, lot of uh, the characters like, here are stupid not michael sheen um, because okay. like because the other one i guess it's kind of a spoiler so i can't say who it is but right um, i was just which trying to figure out which one you're referring to. yeah <laughs> I, I think you know and uh, yeah i i think there are characters in here who i think just aren't given their due honestly uh, i think michael sheen is absolutely one of them he's kind of pushed to the side by this film and right when you you think that it's it's going to be the film where we sort of like revisit one of, you know, one of our best actors across the pond. He just sort of is given nothing. And instead the attention is put on this completely uninteresting villain by my estimation. And the other problem is that I just think Dan Stevens is not likable enough that you care what happens to him because as the dangers start to build up, I found myself caring more about Lucy Boynton. I found myself caring more about there's a subplot involving these two young teenagers that I think should have gone somewhere uh, probably more satisfying. And it really doesn't. Um, it's kind of used to sort of build up these other characters instead. And I, I there was something about that that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, 
And this is after, you know, I, I was, I wasn't necessarily bored by this film in the second half. Like I was in the first, the first half I was, I was very much like, get to it, get to the point. I, I hmm. want to buy into this Dan Stevens character, Thomas Richardson. I want to care about him. You take too long to understand his backstory. Like they don't reveal a lot about why he is the way he is until you're so far into the movie that I think it's too late. And so hmm. something happens at the very end of this film that I think will make or break the film for a lot of people. And I look at it and I'm like, yeah, okay, that's what I want to happen. I want this this film to do something like that with, with these characters. And it left me wanting ever still. And I'm very confused by that and I'm kind of frustrated. So I, yeah, I'm just not very hot on this one, but I'm, I am curious to hear how, how it did work for you. Yeah, I guess I'm... I'm a little bit on the reverse side. I was actually, I think, more drawn into the first half than the second half, where the second half, I think, was actually when the movie was starting to lose me a bit. Maybe because any Saya Salty or uh, anything that wasn't less than overt was kind of thrown out the window. And I do like that the movie finally got to like the gore and stuff. I was anticipating it from the beginning. But yeah, no, I, I think I was more compelled by the mystery of the film than what it ultimately delivered. But that, with that said... Yeah, I didn't have any uh, disagreements with Dan Stevens' character. I wouldn't have mind if they had introduced the um, backstory to him earlier, but I think it's fine where it is. And there's a shot with his backstory, which I think is one of my favorite shots of the year. It is pretty wonderful, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just such a great shot. And I think I, I think this movie, it really shows uh, Gareth Owens. Oh, is it Evans or Owens? Evans. Or, yeah, I think it really shows how he's challenging himself and growing as a filmmaker. I don't think the story is particularly deep i don't think it does anything that hasn't really been said or drawn upon before but i think it is well written i think it's well told and i like the performances i i don't think it's gonna like revolutionize the horror genre or anything it's not gonna be the next johnny carpenter's halloween but it's it's interesting i was thoroughly entertained and compelled throughout and i enjoyed what i saw i mean i don't think it's gonna be anything i'm gonna reflect upon much though at the end of the year truth be told hmm all right. I gave it a C plus. Um, oh, wow. I, you know, okay. I would recommend it probably to anybody who's bored. And this is probably one of the better Netflix original films that's come out lately. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, you might, you might dig it. Uh, I have a feeling some more people will dig it than they, than they won't. Um, what was your grade? Uh, I was B plus. Yeah. I was uh, quite higher oh, wow. than you were. That's quite, that's quite a gap between us. I don't, uh-huh. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, but, I thought uh, you were going to be leaning more towards a B minus. Truth be told, and I, I expect a C plus from you. Well, I'm so sorry to disappoint. Um, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, just just wasn't quite my deal, but uh, I hope people enjoy it. Uh, okay, so next up, uh, we have Beautiful Boy. So, Will, uh, Beautiful Boy. It's not a movie about John and Grony, unfortunately, but uh, what is it, and should we care about it? Yeah, Beautiful Boy is. Um, it's based on two memoirs, uh, one from David Chef and one from Nick Chef. I've read one of the memoirs, Tweak, from Nick Chef, uh, but I haven't read David Chef's book, which is where the film gets its title. And it seems like that's pretty much where the movie is. It's more based on that book than the one from Nick Chef. And the, the story of it is uh, it's a father and son dynamic from uh, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, where uh, they he are. Uh, Timothy Chalamet kind of grew up in this uh, nice, well-adjusted San Francisco home. Uh, he has a very loving support system from his parents, primarily his father, who's been his kind of guiding mentor throughout life, his uh, primary parent figure. And, uh, you know, he's smart. He's accomplished. He uh, is 
seemingly he seems like he's on the right path in life, but he kind of grows uh, into this drug addiction that gets more and more severe uh, as the days go on. And the film fairly straightforwardly just kind of challenges. It just looks at what it's like to live in a family with uh, a drug addict. And it's not a lighthearted film. It's very, very dramatic. Uh, even if you think that Steve Carell's influence might make it a little bit uh, lighthearted, it's very, it's pretty much one of the more dramatic films I've seen this year. And uh, I don't mean that as a slight, I'm just letting people know going in. Um, but it's a film like, it's more of an acting showcase than I think anything else. I think it's primarily a good way to show that Steve Carell and Tim Lichelle, Timothy Chalamet are really good actors um, and that they know what they're doing and that they can bring out humanity to something that could be very heartbreaking and depressing. And uh, I think more than anything else, it's Timothy Chalamet's uh, spotlight to shine, even though more time is spent on Steve Carell's character, just because I think Timothy Chalamet's character is the showier one. I mean, as the addict in the film, you know, he has a more to do physical as far as the physicality and uh, transitioning into this broken uh, guideless person. And um, I, yeah, I was really, I was taken by the film. I was somewhat aware of what was going to happen, but at the same time, I found myself drawn into the story. And while it is fairly, uh, straightforward i mean if you've seen one addict story you've, you've seen a lot of them before but uh it's it's done well it's it's made by a filmmaker i can't think of his name but he made a movie um oh what's it you know well, this is his first know? film felix van no, verningen what, what's that felix van verningen he no uh, it's, it's like third or fourth film he um he made no. a film i think it was up for best foreign film a couple of years ago i'm i think it's called broken what's it called well, this Broken is Circle sorry. This is his first film that's uh, not a foreign because he's Belgian. Yeah. So this is was, his first like English language. Yeah, I was gonna say because he made Broken Circle Breakdown, which is a really good film. Okay. Uh, if, you, if you ever get a okay. chance to check it out, uh, yeah. I mean, it's that's the only thing I've seen from him before, and I didn't even realize it was that filmmaker until after the film. But yeah, I mean, there's like a it's a very um, sort of minimalist approach. It's uh, not a film that has like a score or any like heavy. Uh, like like this is how you should feel right now. It's it's a lot more reserved and um, kind of just looking at both sides of the story and um, kind of seeing things unfold from a like a very human natural approach. And I think that's what benefits the film ultimately. Although I think having the film be based on two memoirs, like you ultimately you don't really get the full scope of Nick Chef's story. I think it kind of gets left aside more than it's not just because. Mm. They wanted to focus, I guess, more on uh, Steve Carell's character, which I think is a little disappointing because I think where that movie really kind of uh, is brought to life is, I think, through Timothy Chalamet's performance. And I think I was more drawn to what he was doing than what Steve Carell was doing ultimately. But um, it's still a good film overall. I think it's going to be one that uh, that people are going to like. I just kind of wish. Um, what was that movie with um, Jessica Chastain and... Um, James McAvoy, where it was like two films. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, and then they did like a him and her side. Oh, it's gonna come to me. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, is it the, was it the Eleanor Rigby? Yeah, I think that's it. 
Yeah. Is it the well, one of, yes, thank you. <laughs> I knew uh, I yeah. knew it was something kind of like a Beatles song or something, but yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of wish the movie had done that approach. Like it had made like one film from like Steve Carell's side, one film from Timothy Chalamet's side, and then like maybe there was like oh. a film that put them together like this. Yeah. So I think I, I think we're just kind of left with like a somewhat fractured narrative here. And um, that's a shame because I think the stuff that works here really works. I just felt like we only saw part of the picture. But uh, as it stands, I think it's really well done. I think it's certainly a film worth recommending, um, especially if you read either or both these books. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give it, I was between a B and a B plus. Um, I'll give it a high B just because I don't think it quite hits the height that it wants to achieve. But I was still very taken by the film and I hope you check it out. Chuck. All right. Yeah, I probably will. Uh, it's not doing super well. Um, it's really? only been in limited release. It's an Amazon film. Yeah, so it'll be streaming it's... soon. I heard it was doing pretty well because of uh, the stands for Timothy Chalamet were churning out. Well, it's only made $700,000 at the box office, so it hasn't even cracked a million. And it cost $25 million to make because they had to recut it a bunch of times um, because they had a lot of issues with filming. You could tell that the movie was definitely like there's a lot that was cut out, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I premiered at Toronto and it won a bunch of rewards and stuff, uh, but it only has about a 64%. Uh, rating right now um the average rating is about 6.4 so it's about a c plus so yeah it people are a little bit split on this one but uh good to hear that you you got something out of it and uh high b sounds good mm-hmm. so that's a beautiful boy um do you think it'll get oscar attention i think timothy Chalamet will probably get a nomination hmm. um i don't know if he'll get anything else should be told but we'll see interesting uh well okay my last one for this week is the romanoffs uh, season one. This is a new anthology series, and the main reason I've been really excited to talk about it and to see it is because it comes from Matthew Weiner. Matthew Weiner wrote, produced, and directed uh, the first episode of this. And, um, oh, I'm sorry, I should say he wrote, so he directed and wrote the first episode. He directed and co wrote the second one. And then he directed and co wrote the third one. We don't know who wrote the the rest of the episodes there's eight total um they're going to be coming out over the rest of october and through november but he directed every episode and if you don't know who matthew weiner is uh he is the huh yeah where have you been I said, if you don't know who matthew he's, weiner is i said where have you been he he's probably one of the most influential showrunners of our time right. uh he created mad men which uh is probably my favorite television series ever uh, he absolutely is uh, someone to watch. He hasn't really done any. He hasn't created a show since Mad Men, so this is his return after uh, you know Mad Men came out in 2007. It finished in I believe uh, 2013, 2014, and so it's been several years, and it's been over a decade now since his last show that he actually created. Uh, so this one has been looked at with a lot of attention. It's on Amazon Video, and uh, as I mentioned, it's an anthology television series uh so it's not quite like maniac where it's a limited series but it's like one story the the through line between all of these anthology stories they're like little short stories is that they all involve characters who believe that they descend from the romanovs Uh, so the romanovs of course are the famous uh, russian royal family who uh, they were murdered um, at the, during the rise of uh, the Soviet Union and the uh, Lenin and Trotsky and communism and and all of that pretty tough stuff. 
And so if you've ever done, you know, in history class, you probably learned about the Romanovs and the fact that, you know, over history, uh, people believe that the descendants or people who are related to them, including Anastasia, there's a whole animated movie about how one of the children, um, there's like the urban legend that she survived. And, you know, there's a woman who was claiming until her death to have been um, the youngest daughter of this royal family. And the short story series follows their stories throughout like the whole thing. Now, there's three episodes out right now. Um, I haven't seen all of them quite yet. The first two came out last week, and then the third one literally just came out um, a couple days ago. I've only seen the first one because they're very long. The first episode is an hour. So it, it, there, it's definitely a lot longer than you would expect. Uh, and the first one's called The Violet Hour. So I'm only reviewing this one, talking about it. And it stars uh, Aaron Eckhart, uh, which is fun to see him on the uh, the small screen again. Uh, and then Marth Keller, who plays Anishka Lashane, who believes that she is a descendant of the Romanovs. And uh, the rest of the cast includes Louise Bourgeois, um, and some some French actors. I don't want to ruin their names, but uh, Darina Aljundi is uh, probably the standout here. And you, it really is like a short story in the sense that you have a small group of characters and uh one of them uh he's he's like the nephew of this woman who owns this apartment and he and his girlfriend are waiting for her to die basically so they can inherit her apartment and during this time she uh the elderly aunt hires a new caregiver who is a muslim named Hajar. now this takes place in france so we see the xenophobic you know, undertones of that. And it is not subtle at all. Uh, Anishka has very, very uh, huge problems with a Muslim even being in her presence. And so this, that's sort of the setup. And so far, um, the reception to this show has not been very positive at all. Uh, It's in like the high high 40s, low 50s on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, People... People are saying that they like how it looks and that it's ambitious, and some people have called it sprawling, but people are kind of calling it a slow burn in sort of a bad way. I'm not in the latter camp. I kind of love this show. Um, maybe it's because Matthew Weiner, uh, I've rewatched Mad Men so many times, I just really love how he writes characters. And uh, I haven't seen the rest of the episode, so I don't know how it goes, but it does require so much patience. You have to sit through about 15, 20 minutes of a first episode that you really don't know why you're here the whole time. And you're really wondering, why am I watching the story? Why am I engaging with this story? And it's, it's tough because, you know, it doesn't really pick up until you start to get into the life of Hajar. And she is a character who sparks life into the narrative and in ways that are pretty surprising and in ways that I, I can see it. I see what Weiner's going for. And I want to rewatch this. I want to analyze it. It's what I've always done with the Mad Men series. And I recommend checking it out if you are a fan of his work and you want to uh, follow what he's doing right now. And I I think it, it's absolutely worth your time. But I do at the same time recognize that for some people, it's going to be a little bit too much. And, uh, you know, the, that's a good thing about this. If some episodes are better than others, uh, I know the Royal Wee stars uh, Corey Stoll who's probably best known, you know, Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man. And of course, uh, he was uh, probably best known for his role in House of Cards. He's in this as well. And I, I definitely, uh, we definitely have some really great actors throughout. We have Ron Livingston, Diane Lane, Amanda Peet, John Slattery from uh, from Mad Men, and also Christina Hendricks, who is in Mad Men. Um, Paul Reiser has a role in one of the episodes. I mean, th- this is something to, to watch. I think people are going to get something out of it. But uh, do you have any plans on checking it out, Will Ashen? Well, I think I'm going to try to finish Mad Men before 
<laughs> Romanoffs, but that could take a uh, while. Um, but I yeah. hope you do for your sake. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean it's something I'm certainly interested in. I don't know when I'll get to it, uh, but it seems pretty compelling. I'll, I'll be curious to check it out. All right, uh, fair enough. That is the Romanoffs. Um, those of you who have seen Mad Men, um, even if you haven't, obviously you don't have to 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 enjoy this one. I definitely think it's worth your time. That's the Romanoffs season one. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime Video, and uh, maybe check it out. And with that, that'll do it for our mini reviews. Uh, a little extra long episode. Uh, when it's just me and Will. I, we just we just don't know how to stop. I guess, but um, uh, we miss you, Maverick. Uh, real quick. Here are the movies coming out next week. Here's our struggle. Um, next week, we see the release, the wide release of Hunter Killer from Lionsgate. This is the Gerard Butler film that really just does not look like any good. It's like a oh, submarine cool. movie and Gary Oldman's in it, uh, I guess, with Linda Cardellini. I just, in common, uh, I just, I don't know, Will Ashton. Do you have any so, intention of... Uh, I was just looking at the director's past filmography and... Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Spud, Spud Two: The Madness Continues. Uh, dollars with a dollar sign plus white pipes. Is that the film? Yeah, that's the film. Uh, well, I mean, he certainly knows uh, how how to get a title. <laughs> Hunter Killer, yeah. uh, which is a bit more straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not really. Are you going to see this one, or do you have any probably intention? Not. Yeah. No, I, probably not. But well, you uh, saw the other film, uh, Johnny English Strikes Again, which yeah. you've already you didn't even want to talk about it in mini reviews. I like I have like three minutes worth of things to say about it. I just kind of figured it'd be best <laughs> to save it for next week. I mean, I could tell yeah. you right now what I think. Oh, uh, let's wait. <laughs> We're out yeah. of time. Rowan Atkinson's in it. That's it. That's all you need to know. And Emma Thompson's in it for some reason. Um, yeah. But yeah, but we were thinking of maybe doing. Um, uh, a limited release next week instead. Uh, two of them coming out are Suspiria and Burning. Uh, Suspiria is one that we really have a lot of interest in, in checking out. It hits limited release, um, and it's from Amazon Studios. This is from Luca Guadagnino, who directed um, Call Me By Your Name uh, just last year. And so we were definitely thinking of talking about this one. It's kind of, it's more of a horror film. It kind of fits the Halloween stuff. And uh, Will, you are going to see it. Our only We just don't know for sure if Maverick Hines and I are going to be able to catch it before next week's episode. So we'll put out a poll with a heavy caveat that we might not be able to see it in time to talk about it next week. But we will talk about it on the show at some point. And the other film is Burning, which is another limited release. Uh, this is from Korean filmmaker Lee Chang-jong, who did um, Peppermint candy green fish uh poetry some lesser known films but uh i know stephen ewan is in this and so i've heard that it's it's worth checking out so that that's one other option well what else yeah. could we talk about next week what, what should well, the listeners recommend let's see i mean on netflix there is uh i think another mini series I, I don't think it's um just a show i think it's a mini series haunting it's called of, yeah, yeah the haunting of hill house which i believe maverick has already started and i've heard yeah. It's really good. It's from uh, Mike Flanagan, who did uh, Gerald's Game, Ouija, Origin of Evil, and Hush, which are uh, three horror films that I thought were very good, or at least uh, quite impressive from a directorial standpoint. So I was, I'm very eager to see what he does next as a filmmaker, and I've heard this is an improvement, which is encouraging because I felt like he was already on a, quite a roll. So um, yeah, I would be interested to see that. And then what else was on the docket? I'm trying to remember. Oh, um... There is the possibility that we could do mid '90s, which is the Jonah Hill. That's right, uh, yeah. Directorial debut. Um, he wrote and directed that film, and it's gotten, I think, kind of mixed reviews, as far as I can tell right now. I know that I'm more interested to see it than John, but 
it's certainly one that has uh, it's from a24 which is always usually a sign of confidence um and it's a film that I don't, I'm, I'm curious to see it has lucas hedges in it uh i believe um who else is in the film is that is he the only real name in the film besides uh i think so because all none of the kids are that recognizable i know with the exception um, of uh the main kid yeah. who's in the house the clock on its walls right yeah year. and uh the killing of a sacred deer yes that's right uh yeah and then was there something else um, I don't think so. I think those were really, I think for me, it was between Suspiria, if we can see it, mid nineties, if we can see it. Um, and then I guess kind of our backup, if none of our screenings work out would be the house, the haunting of house. Hill. I, I haunting of Hill house. I don't know what the word is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it's really good. It's 10 episodes, uh, similar to maniac. If you enjoyed our conversation on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard it's really good and it would be fun to do that right next to Halloween, but, right. um, yeah, we'll whatever put out, one. Yeah, we'll put out our poll. Uh, if you're a patron of Cinemaholics or you want to become one, um, please let your voice be heard and let us know what you would prefer to hear about. But with that, it's all the time we have this week on Cinemaholics. Uh, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and wherever you love podcasts. Uh, if you want the show to continue and do okay, uh, hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter. Links to our social stuff is in the show notes as usual, including our Patreon. And you can email us anytime at Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to listen to us on YouTube if you prefer that route and we're trying to post more content on there. Uh, and yeah, I guess we'll see you next week from the internet, California. I'm John Agroni. If the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. For Maverick Hines from the Broadband Basement, we'll see you next time. <laughs>